Hey, I'm really excited about this lesson. I'm even more excited now. You are going to be touched by God's word today as we talk about four Jewish boys in a strange land. It may be a story that you have even read before as a child, but maybe you haven't done much reading of it in the last 20 years. I have studied this story off and on over a whole lifetime, and as I studied in the last two weeks, I was just mesmerized, and my faith was increased as I studied God's Word. So take your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. If you open your book halfway in there, you'll come to about Isaiah. If you keep going to the right, you'll go through... um, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. Hey, make sure you take your offering, or take your uh, attendance too, okay? Make sure those are accurate. Because we're going to open up God's word today, let's pray and ask the Spirit to work in our lives. Lord, I'm just so excited about this lesson. I'm so excited to see how light bulbs are going to go on in people's lives here this morning. And how you're going to encourage us to become people of greater faith and greater obedience and greater surrender and greater character. So I pray that you would work in a special way in every single life today. I pray for those who are especially discouraged as they come in today. Or especially down or especially thinking, I'm just not living the life that Christ wants me to live. Would you reach into her life especially today, Lord? Would you reach into her life especially today? Lift our faith exponentially. Think about people like Melanie who are sitting here today after surgery on Friday. Touch her, Lord. Just touch her body. Touch her spirit. And for every single one of these women, take us to a new place of faith. I pray in your name. Amen. Um, turn to Daniel chapter 1. My table is not big enough. If you don't have a Bible with you today, I have one right here, and we have more back at the back. Anybody need one? We always have them here now, so make sure you feel free to get one, and if you need to take one with you, we'll even let you do that. Let me give you a little bit of background for what the story is precipitated by today. In fact, you can put a piece of paper there in Daniel. I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles. That's not a book you've probably been in a lot lately, but go back to the left to 2 Chronicles. Uh, So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Chronicles. So it's like a ways in there. 2 Chronicles chapter 36 Chapter 36. Maybe you're not familiar real much with what the Old Testament is about, but it's the story of the Jewish people, God's chosen people, and he had given them the Ten Commandments, he told them how to live, he told them how to serve him, and they were stubborn, obstinate people who didn't serve him the way he wanted them to serve. He'd send the prophets, and the prophets would say, guys, shape up. Shape up. If you don't, something is going to happen. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 16 and 17. The, they tell them what's going to happen if you don't shape up. And let's look there at verse 36 and 37. I have worn my... I mean, verses 16 and 17. I have worn a reading contact today to be able to do this and to do that funeral. And it's not working for me real well, so I may be borrowing somebody's reading glasses in here in addition to it. Uh... Okay, verse 15. Yeah. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through his messengers, the prophets, again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers. 
They despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young man nor old man, woman, old man or aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the architects of the temple of God, both large and small, da-da-da-da. And uh, verse 20, he carried into exile to Babylonia the remnant. So here are these people that were not killed, and Nebuchadnezzar takes them to Babylonia. This foreign country that is raised by um, uh, secular, uh, heathen people who... Who, uh, study, who, who love their gods, multiple gods. And that's what happens in our story today. The little blank you have right there is the word captivity. The Israelite people have been taken into captivity. God's special people, the Jews, did not obey God. So he punished them and he allowed the king of Babylonia and his army to defeat them. Now the question is, get down another blank, another uh, paragraph there. The question is this. This was the reason Dan, the book of Daniel was written. Because the question is this, is God weak? He couldn't even protect his own people from captivity. That was the philosophy of the day of these surrounding countries to the Israelites. Your God must be weak. He couldn't even protect you from going into captivity. The gods of the heathen have prevailed. Where is this Jehovah God? And that's what the book of Daniel is all about. It's about the fact, the first half of it is God's intervention, his miraculous working in the lives of people to show, I am still Jehovah God, I am all-powerful God. The second half of Daniel is all about the visions that Daniel received that told about future events. We're just going to look at the first part of of the book of Daniel. The first thing I want us to talk about is living such great commitment to God. Such great commitment to God. What book is what? Captivity. Captivity or captive. They're captives. They're living lives of captivity. Now turn to the first chapter. And let's see what happens in this story. Are you confused about something? There, it just says Second Chronicles thirty six seventeen, and then there's a line, captivity, or captive. Yeah, there's no uh, line. It, I just want you to remember that they're in captivity now. Yeah, yeah, right. Make sense now? Okay. So, the king Nebuchadnezzar is going to look around and say, "Who can I use in my country of Babylonia?" Who can I use who will really help me in this country? Now, do you think he would look for the best of the best or the worst of the worst? He's going to look for the best. Let's see what happens. Verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God, and he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, in, put it in the treasure house of his God. That's just what we read in Chronicles, isn't it? Then the king ordered Ashkenaz, his chief of the court officials, 
to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. What kind of people is he going to look for? Young men without any physical defect. Handsome. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Well-informed. Quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. These were like Hollywood, you know, the guys who go, whoa, man, these guys are beautiful. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So on your notes there, you see what I put under living such commitment to God. He decided to bring some Israelites from royal, family, nobility, young men, no defect, handsome, aptitude for learning, well-informed, quick, and qualified to serve. Let's see what the names of these guys were. Verse 6. Among these were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You go, man, I've never heard those guys' names except for one. Well, listen to what happens. The chief official goes, these guys are no longer Jewish guys. They are um, Babylonian guys. And so he gives them Babylonian names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. You don't even know that name hardly at all, but you do know these others. To Hananiah, he said Jadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. If you grew up in church, you probably grew up singing some songs about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And so these were the four guys, but we, we go by their um, Babylonian names, but for Daniel, we stick with the word Daniel. Well, what's going to happen with these guys? They're going to remain in Babylonia for 70 years. In fact, by the time we're going to go to chapter 6 in a little bit and see about Daniel being thrown in the lion's den, he is an old man by that time. So they're there for 70 years, but right now at the beginning, they're going to face an early problem. Daniel is going to ask not to defile himself with wine and food of the king. Look at verse 8. So remember, it had already said that the king for three years says, I'm going to give you the best of the best. I'm going to give you the royal food, the royal wine, but there's a problem here. Verse uh, 8, Daniel resolved... Not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. What's the problem with the royal food and wine? Big problem for the Jewish guys. The food, the first portion of that food had been offered to idols. That's your blank right there. The first portion of that food had been offered to idols. And as a Jewish boy, you didn't eat anything that was offered to an idol because you had this sense that maybe that kind of resided in use in some ways and it had this, this, um, this anti-God thing in you. The wine, well the wine had been pulled out on the, poured out on the pagan altar. And so before they were worshiping their gods, they would sacrifice the food to the um, idol and they would take the wine and they would pour it out on the pagan altar. So it was defiled to a Jewish person. To take it would have meant that they were just going against um, Exodus chapter 2. You will have no other gods before me. And they couldn't do it. Or at least they shouldn't do it. And so Daniel says, hey king, or to to, to, uh, the king's official, look in verse 9. 
Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. In other words, Daniel, if I let you, because Daniel says, don't, don't make us eat this royal uh, stuff. It's against what we believe in. Let us just eat really healthy foods that we're allowed to eat. But the, the chief guy says, when, after a while, you guys are going to start looking really weak. And you're not going to look strong anymore. And the king's going to say, what are you doing? And he's going to have me beheaded. I can't do it. I like you. I respect you. But I can't do it. So verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Ashael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then, after ten days, compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and he gave them vegetables instead. Here's Daniel saying, I just trust my God. I just really, really trust him. That if I live according to what he's told me to live, he's going to take care of me. But think about it. I put it on your notes there. Think about these guys. They're aliens in a foreign land. They are hundreds of miles from home. Don't you wonder if at some point they're wondering, God, where are you? It sounds like they have been faithful to God and he's allowed them to go into captivity. Don't you wonder if they're going, God, where are you? Are they feeling rejected by him? I wonder if they're not thinking this, guys. No one will ever know what I eat here. Now, probably there were other Jewish guys that were brought in here. It wasn't just these four guys. But evidently, these are the only four guys who say, I've got to live the way God wants me to live. They're the only four names that go down in history as young Jewish men who say, we're not going to eat this stuff that was offered to idols. We're not going to drink what was poured out on the altar. But I wonder if they're thinking at some point when they're talking about this, you know they've got to be agonizing over this. Don't you think they're going, nobody will really know? Is it really important to live this way? And I wonder if they're not saying, such a small thing. It's just food. Who really cares about what we eat? And then that leads me to thinking about you and about me. I put it on your notes there. Just some questions that stirred up for me. I'll bet you there are other questions that it could stir up for you. I wonder, are we committed to living holy regardless of who's watching? So you come to church and you go, I know I'm going to live holy. Or you go out with some of your Christian friends and you go, I know I'm going to live holy. But what about, as Bill Hybels wrote the book years ago, what are, who are you when nobody's watching, when nobody's looking? These guys were hundreds of miles from anybody who would know. Who are we when nobody's looking? Am I so committed to saying I will live for God, I will live holy, that I live that way no matter if anybody ever sees it publicly? It made me think about this next question. Do we give in to peer pressure at times or live according to the courage of our convictions? And this one. Do we really 
realize that there are no small things. No small things. I have a friend who, uh, she never wants anybody to think badly of her. It's kind of her temperament. She's a sanguine. And she, um, if she tells somebody that she'll do something, and she doesn't do it, and they come to her and say, how about this? She'll fudge the truth a little bit. Because she doesn't want, one, she doesn't want to be embarrassed. One, she doesn't want to admit the truth. Three, she doesn't want to look bad before people. And so she just fudges the truth a little bit. Just kind of takes the truth and just turns it a little bit and implies that she's done it. But she hasn't really done it. It's just a little thing. It's, it's not an out-and-out out lie. It's just a little thing. I can't see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, it's just a little thing. And so that leads me to have you have a question around your table. Where do you live victoriously in one of those areas? One of those three little check marks. Maybe you say, man, I am committed to living holy no matter who's watching or where do you struggle in one of those areas? Maybe you'd say, sometimes I think there are little small things where I go, mm, nobody's going to know, and I can get by with this. I can just cheat a tiny bit of my taxes, or I can fudge a little bit here, or I can lie a little bit here, or I can give in a little bit here. I don't know where yours might be. I can just watch this when nobody ever sees me watching it because I'm in my own house. Where in those areas do you either say, I have really found great victory, I've made a lot of progress, or where do you say, I have to admit, I struggle a little bit in one of those areas? Enough questions to talk about it a little bit? Let's go. Be honest. Take some masks off. Go. Okay. I want you to say something with me. I want you to say something with me. I want you to say five words. There are no small things. Say it with me. There are no small things. Say it with me again. There are no small things. Say it once more. There are no small things. And whenever you think it's only a small thing, I hope you go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel and go, there weren't any small things for them. And think about it this way. What you do in private that nobody knows, somebody knows. God knows. Plus, guys, it's not just that God knows. It's what I think one of the things that this story does for me is teaches me that these guys at a young age were building a foundation upon which greater things is asked of them and greater things is accomplished through them. But they started with the foundation down here because they thought there was no small thing. And if you think there are small things that you can fudge in little things, you never develop that strength of foundation that allows you then to become all that God wants you to be. It's just an important thing to remember. There are no small things. Oh my goodness, I love this next story. And I know that you've heard it since you were a child, but I think God's going to speak to you today about it. Turn to chapter 3. Living such faith. So the first one was, we said, living such great commitment to God, to holiness, to what they believed to be what God wanted them to be. We could take an hour just on that part. But I want to look at this one, living such faith. John, or, uh, John Daniel chapter 3. 
We're not going to read the entire chapter right now. Oh, you guys, I really encourage you to go home this week and study Daniel chapters 1 to 6. It is fascinating. All the stuff that Nebuchadnezzar does, how he has to, he goes crazy for a while. I mean, literally mentally ill for a while because of the way he is. Um, so in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, look at verse 1. Think of this, what's that word, megalomaniac? Look at it. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he sat it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He goes, now he, it may not have been um, an idol to him. It probably was to his God, but it was essentially the same thing. So he sets up this um, image. Now, you know Old Testament enough probably to know that God says, you shall not set before me any graven image. Again, another part of their, their understanding of God that says, we can, we can never bow down to a graven image, to an idol. But Nebuchadnezzar draws all of his leaders together, all of his administrators, of which Daniel is one of them. And he says, um, I want you to bow down before me. Let's look at verse 4. It's just a, a beautiful, a great word picture. Not beautiful, but a powerful word picture in verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, he did this with a lot of instruments, this is what you were commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. Babylonia was a place that had lots of nationalities there. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the zither, the lyle, the harp, pipes and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Whoa. I'd be a little nervous at that point. Because there are no small things. Even though I'm living many, many, many miles from home, I'm still carrying my God and I can't bow down to this image. What am I going to do? Because he's made it really, really clear that I'm going to be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so, they start doing this. They start making all these instruments and everybody starts bowing down. But look at verse 12. Some guys come to King Nebuchadnezzar and they say, there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylonia, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And this made the king really happy. Verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before him. He asks him, is this really true? I can't believe it. You really are going to bow down, right? Because you know I've got to kill you if you don't. And he says uh, at the end of verse 15, What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? If you don't bow down. But watch some of the most powerful words in scripture. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we're, that we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But listen to this, guys. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods 
or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar, God's able, and he's probably going to save us. But we understand there's a chance that he might not. It doesn't change anything, King. We're still not going to bow down. Oh my goodness! Don't you want to live your Christian faith like that? Lord, I think that you can deliver me from cancer. I know you're able. But if you don't, I'm still serving you. God, I think that you can meet all of my needs if I tithe. I really do. But whatever happens, I'm tithing. Lord, I think that you can deliver me in this situation that I'm in that is so, so hard. I think you can deliver me from it. But even if you don't, blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh my goodness, what faith. I put on your notes right there. Um, They didn't know they would be rescued. You know, we read that story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we go, whoa, that's, that's amazing. Look at what God did. They didn't know the outcome. You don't know your outcome, do you? All you know is that he's faithful. All you know. Bonnie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We will put in the fiery furnace. Do you see that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Thank you. No, I'm glad you said that. No, you should say that. That would drive me crazy too. They didn't know that they would be rescued and it didn't seem to matter. They were going to serve their God regardless of the outcome or the consequences. Erwin McManus wrote a great book called Seizing Your Divine Moment. It's been a powerful book, one of my top ten books of my life. He said this. It's not in your notes. Just listen to this. We must remember that if we're thrown into the lion's den and we get eaten... God is still faithful. This is what makes second dimension faith so exciting. You know that God will be honored because you've done what is right. Let's see what happens in this story. So we're back to the fiery furnace. Uh, look at verse um, verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look! I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unarmed, and the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. He just happened to be the son of God in physical form in that 
fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening to the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, precepts, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. Of course, they're going, what? They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Part of the reason the book of Daniel is written, I already told you, was that in this land of captivity, where the surrounding countries and the Babylonians were saying, Jehovah God is not powerful. He can't even save his own people. The book of Daniel occurs where we're able to see Jehovah God is able, still even in places of captivity, to bring about victory. I don't know what your lion's den might be right day, right today. Uh, your fiery furnace. I don't know what your fiery furnace might be today. Maybe you're not going through a fiery furnace today. Maybe yours is next year. Maybe yours was 10 years ago. Everybody goes through fiery furnaces sometime. And I go to this story and look at it to see, man, Jesus, you're in the middle of every fiery furnace I walk through. I just got to be aware of you. It's interesting as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fiery furnace... That fourth person disappears. Son of God. Disappearing. I still remind you, go down on your notes where it says, um, McManus asks a great question that we must all answer. Are you willing to live a life that honors God and reflects his character and leave the outcome to him? Such faith. That faith that began back when they were teenagers. They, when they first were taken into Babylonia, they were probably only 15 to 17 years old. Now it's years later, but they've been building this faith, building this faith. And it reminds me that faith has to grow. Faith must grow. I have a couple of thoughts that I want to throw out to you and then have you talk about them around your tables. This idea of growing faith. I put on your notes there a quote by McManus who says this, Do not be surprised that what God asked of you yesterday is insufficient for your journey of faith today. That is powerful, guys, and I really believe that it's true. Listen to it one more time. Do not be surprised that what God asked of you yesterday is insufficient for your journey of faith today. Why? God wants to grow your faith. He wants your roots to go down deeper in him. And then when they've gone down deeper in him, he wants them to go deeper. And then when they've gone deeper, he wants them to go deeper. That's what growing faith is all about. Trusting him more today than I did yesterday, but trusting him more next month than I did this month. Growing faith. McManus says this, it's on your note-taking guides. What required faith for you yesterday may become commonplace for you tomorrow. Although they are still expressions of your faith, they're no longer the challenges that launch you to new faith experiences. While at first, simple trust, simply trusting God to take you outside your experience is a huge leap of faith, eventually God will expect more of you. I remember uh, when I first started walking years and years ago, I lived in a neighborhood that um, I clearly remember it had just in one part of the neighborhood, it had this little incline. I mean, it was just nothing. 
But I had never been a walker, and so I was walking up that, and I remember my ankles just burning. So I was going up this little incline, and I felt like it was really a big, big incline. I look back on it now, and I think, man, that was, that was like this. That neighborhood then had another section in it that I began to walk in, and it was just a little steeper. I went, whoa, I used to not be able to do that little incline, and now I'm doing this bigger, like, little hill. Man, I'm really getting stronger. But then my neighborhood had this hill that was a hill. And I, when I first began going up that, I was huffing, I was puffing, I was struggling to get up it. And I remember thinking, well, that little incline used to cause this, and then that other little hill used to cause this. Now, I bet you I can make it if I get my body trained, because I conquered that one, I conquered that one, I bet you I'll be able to conquer this one. And I found that that was really, really true. That's true in faith, isn't it? Things that used to get me, that used to go, man, I don't know if I can get through this or not. Now I go, they're just such small things. And God allowed my faith to go deeper until I could handle some bigger things. And I thought, man, this is about as tough as it gets. And then I walked through the fiery furnaces of life to where I thought, there's no way in the world I'm going to come out on the other side of this victorious. Unless you show up, Jesus. Unless you enable me. And now I look back over a lot of fiery furnaces over, over my lifetime. And I'm just so grateful that he enabled me to say, I'm going to walk through this one. It might only be that big, but it's, there are no small things. And then he just grows and grows and grows and grows our faith. Which leads me to ask you around your table, share a place in your life where your faith has already grown. Where you say, maybe you say, man, I used, to, I used to smoke two packs a day. And I thought, I'll never be able to quit this. And God allowed you to have faith to say, with his strength you could. Or maybe you say, I used to have this other addiction. Or I used to be a person who was so critical and negative of people. And God delivered me from that. Or I used to be a person who couldn't tithe for anything in the world. And God said, I'm going to increase your faith until you can give. Not just the tithe, you can give beyond that. Or maybe you um, had a relationship with your husband or your mother-in-law, your mother or your sister. You go, I just thought... I'm going to kill her. (laughs) And over a period of time, God just brought you to have real love for that person. Where's a place that your faith has grown over your lifetime? Let's go to the people who tend to talk the least. Let them at least get theirs out. And then if there's time, let's have everybody try to share around your table. I'll give you three or four minutes for this one, okay? Go. Hey, would you go to that second question just quickly then? Share a place in your life where you need greater faith. Yeah, you've walked the incline, you've walked the hill, but where's a place that you say, I still need greater faith in this area? And answer those just real quickly, okay? Poor story this morning. Living now with such amazing character. John or Daniel chapter 6. Daniel is an old man now. This is probably 69 years later. And he's been building this character all these years, as we'll find out. Let's see what's going on. John, or Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. I've got a mental block here today. What does this tell you about Daniel? There's a new leader now. His name's Darius. There's a new country that's taken over now. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. That was just a a leader who was over a certain area. To rule throughout the kingdom. 
with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So he's really high up now. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. I mean, they didn't want him. He's still this foreigner to them. And they don't like how he's lived his life. And so they look for something that they can use against him. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. Because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. They say line there, they couldn't find anything wrong with them. And they worked hard to find it. But he distinguished himself. He distinguished himself. It says there, he just, he set himself before them as a person that they could look to full of integrity, full of character. They couldn't find anything wrong with his life. And I began to think about this idea of character. I looked up a definition for character. It's not on your notes, but character is like the combination of all the features and the traits that make up your you as an individual. It's the actions that you take to carry out your values, your ethics, and your morals. And so you say, I believe this. You can say the words. But character says, I live out those words in my everyday life. I can say that God is this, but character then is when I live out what I say I believe. And put on your notes, I think God wants to transform character. He wants to help you become a person who lives out of what is right rather than what feels good at the moment. A person of character. It's someone who does the right thing regardless of the circumstances or the consequences. It's about having faith that God will be with you when you do what's right. McManus says, all too often we compromise character to avoid unwanted consequences. Well, that's where Daniel's going to be right now. Because in chapter 6 now, these guys who are against him go to... uh, to Darius, and they cause him, they kind of come around the back door, and they say, we think you're, you're so wonderful. We think that you should um, make a degree, decree that anybody who worships any god or prays to any god over the next 30 days is in trouble. Look at verse uh, verse 7. These guys all agree that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And Darius buys into this, and then he realizes, oh my goodness, what have I done? That's going to cause Daniel to be in some problems. Let's see what Daniel does in verse 10. He hears about this edict. He hears, if you bow down to any other god in the next 30 days, if you pray to any other god, you are going to be thrown to the lion's. He's got a choice, doesn't he? What's he going to do? Verse 10. When Daniel learned 
that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. He was in, that's what he prayed towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Character. He says God is supreme in my life, and now he's got to prove it by his actions. And so he goes to his window, and instead of closing them like I would have been tempted to do, he leaves them wide open, and he prays just as he's been doing for years now. Then these men went as a, lab, as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Man, I'd be asking for God for help too, wouldn't you? So they went to the king and they told him all about it. And the king goes, oh no, what have I done? But I've signed this decree and so I can't renege on it right now and save face. And so he says, okay, um, uh, verse 14, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and to make, and he made every effort until sundown to save him, but he finds that he can't do it. And so um, he says to Daniel in verse 16, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Wow. The king knew about this guy, didn't he? He knew he'd watched him. He knew how he was living. Daniel lived faithfully. That foundation that he started as that young person, he just built on it and built on it and built on it and built on it and built on it. He served God continually. And so what they do was uh, get the, the lions ready. Uh, verse 18, the king returned to the palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he couldn't even sleep. He is really just sick over this. And verse 19, 19, is it? Yeah. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And uh, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And it goes on to tell that then he throws these other guys into the lion's den with their families. And the lions come hungry instantly and eat them up. Wow. I'm amazed by this. Let me give you another quote about the lion. McManus says, if you're thrown to the lion's... Of course, you hope you'll be there in the morning to celebrate. But if not, you'll be in the presence of God, and you'll have provided a small kindness to a few hungry lions. (laughs) Wow. Such character. I want to live like Daniel. I want to live like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want you to think just for a minute in your own character. Who you are when no one is looking. What's an area where God's worked on your character, where your words didn't match up to your actions and they had to do so? But I want you to think about it this way. Also, do I distinguish myself among non-Christians at my work, my family, my speech? Um, Take your Bibles real quickly and turn to the New Testament, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. 
First um, Timothy. First Timothy, chapter four. I always mess up the first and second. These words could have been written to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were written to a young guy named Timothy, who was Paul's son in the gospel. He was a young man when he began pastoring this church in Ephesus. And Paul writes to him in verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers. In speech, what you think about your speech for a minute. Is there anything in our speech that does not reflect Christ? Do you tend to swear some? Do you tend to be derogatory to people? Do you tend to gossip? In your life, is there anything in your life that's not setting an example? In your love, oh man, I know some of us are already talking about how hard it is to love sacrificially. And what does it mean to love and still have boundaries? In your faith. Are you setting an example for other people in your faith so that people look at you and go, man, I want faith like she has it. And in purity, is there anything when it comes to purity in your life that you'd say, I don't think that that's an example for people. Around your table, I want you to look at, to be real honest with your life and say, where is an area in speech or in life or in love or in faith or in purity where you say, I need to go to the next level. And around your table, I want you to share that real quickly with each other and write it down. And then I want you to take a couple minutes and pray for one another. Now, if you have shared a lot today, I want you to go last. That's what we just tend to do here so that everybody gets to share. We remember that people who are quieter sometimes hang back and they don't jump in there. So we need to give them an opportunity. So if you've shared much, just hang back and don't talk. But try to share around your table, where's a place in your speech, in your life, in your love, in your faith, in your purity, where you say, I need to go to the next level. And then pray for each other around your table. And then if you can, uh, hang around to the very end, because we're going to give you a, a, something neat at the end that I want you to want to miss. Okay? Share a place where you still need to make some progress. Go. I hope... That's a quick change. I hope. Turn back to Daniel and go to Daniel chapter 7. Go back to Daniel chapter 7. As we get ready to close, I want you to think about some words that Daniel prophesies. Some words that are going to happen... In the future, at some unknown time. And as we read these words, I want you to think about why should you live lives of character? Why should I live a life of integrity? Why should I live a life of great faith? Why should I live a life of great commitment to God? He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. And look at what Daniel prophesies in chapter 7, verse 13. He says, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, God, 
and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion was an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Why are there no small things? Because we serve a worthy, holy God. Why should we yield and obey and surrender? Because he's worthy. And one of these days he's going to come back again and reclaim us as his own I was looking for a song that we could close with this morning, and I found one that um, I just thought would be a great way to close as it brings these words kind of alive to us. So listen and watch this video, and then Cheryl will come up and close for us.